Would you take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 14, and we'll be looking at verses 13 and following. Listen to this passage of Scripture. Romans 14, beginning with verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Let's pray. Father, when we think about your word and the tremendous gift that it is to our life, I pray that we would not take it for granted. Your Word speaks to all areas of life, to our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ, our relationships to the people that we know, and our friendships, our daily contact in the world, and most of all, our relationship with You. And I pray that our hearts would be sensitive to Your Holy Spirit, not hard, not critical or judgmental of others, but open to see how You may be working in their life. And I pray You'd guide us today in the things that we are studying. In Jesus' name, amen. In the sketch that was shared before us, it took one of the parables of Jesus and it showed how easy it is for people, for us, to at times be critical. Or to think that maybe we've made it or we are a little bit more pleasing to God because we've done this or that. And certainly this other person over here has a ways to go still in their relationship with him. It seems to be human nature on our part to want to think that we are in and somebody else is out. But what we see in an example like that is how important it is that all of us see how much we have been forgiven by Christ. How greatly He has showed His grace to us in what He has done. And then how in turn He wants us to extend that grace to one another. Because grace is necessary for a church to grow in unity and love. Last week we talked about that some in the first half of this chapter. We talked about the importance of unity and grace in the body of Christ and we applied that to this area that Paul is talking about of disputable matters. Areas where Christians may disagree because the Bible doesn't uh, clearly forbid or uh, accept certain practices that may be up for debate among Christians. And so how do we handle those kind of disputable matters where Christians can disagree? 
And we saw that the Bible tells us we are to accept one another in love and accept those differences. We are to surrender everything to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and ask Jesus what He thinks and ask Him to guide us in our choices. And then to remember that God is our judge, ultimately. That we will all stand before Him to give an account for our life. Now, I want to make a couple statements that came out of last week's message that could be additions to it. And when we talk about these kind of things, this does not mean that we are soft on sin. Some people think that if a church or Christians don't have a rule or a law for everything, that maybe then you're getting a little soft on sin. No, that's not it at all. Instead, what we're trying to do is to major on the majors and minor on the minors. What we're talking about here is we're acknowledging that there are areas or things in the bo- that the Bible doesn't clearly address as sin where Christians may disagree on that. And so that's going to happen. And we don't have to live with a rule for everything. That borders on legalism or becomes legalism as it's applied to other people. The other thing I think we should keep in mind here is that this doesn't mean that we shouldn't have convictions. We should have convictions. We need to make choices and decisions about in our own life. How are we going to handle these social concerns or social issues? What do we think about the use of alcohol or media, television, movies, school choices, or other activities and things that come up in the Christian life? We need to make decisions about those, but we shouldn't impose our convictions on someone else as though they were biblical and the only choice. There's freedom here in the body of Christ. But today what we're going to talk about is balancing that freedom with responsibility. We may have the freedom to do many things, but the choices that we make will affect others. So what is my responsibility to my brothers and sisters in Christ? That's a question that we need to think through. What is our responsibility to one another and the use of these freedoms? Now the scripture gives these instructions in chapter 14. First of all, Paul says that we should not do anything that would hurt our brother spiritually. Don't do anything that would hurt your brother or your sister spiritually. He begins by commanding again the believers in Rome to stop passing judgment on one another. And the kind of judgment he's talking about here is kind of a critical, harsh judgment that looks down on the other person as less spiritual because of their actions or decisions. Instead, he says, make up your mind. And it's interesting, in the Greek, that's the very same word for judging. What he's saying, instead of this negative, critical judgment, now make up your mind or make a good judgment not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. A stumbling block is literally something against which your brother may strike his foot and fall. It's something that might be put in the path. If you were uh, hiking on a trail and you're portaging a canoe and one of your uh, friends along that route decides to put a stone in your way and you trip over it, uh, you wouldn't be too happy about that. And in the same way, spiritually, he's saying, don't put something in your brother's path that's going to cause him to trip or fall. The word obstacle is even more interesting. It is the Greek word scandalon. And it, is, it refers to a temptation. 
It's a deliberate attempt to entice a brother to do what would for him be sinful. In other words, it's like if these Greek brothers in Rome who felt the freedom to eat meat tried to set up their Jewish brothers who did not feel the freedom to eat that and tried to entice them to do that, that would be sin. That would be wrong. It would be offensive. In fact, in the Scripture, that word scandalon is used when Peter tried to forbid Jesus to go to the cross. And Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a scandalon to me. That's a strong word. And what Paul is saying here is whether knowingly or unknowingly, we are not to try and trip up our brothers or sisters. And he gives a personal example. Paul shares in this passage his conviction. Uh, He said in verse 14, As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. I can eat whatever I want to eat. I have that conviction. That conviction comes from Jesus' teaching in the New Testament. In Mark 7, for example, Jesus said, It's not what goes into a man that defiles him or makes him unclean. It's not what you eat that affects that. It's what comes out of the heart that defiles a man. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, all of those kind of things come out of the heart. And so that's where the real concern should be. And so Paul knew that he could eat anything he wanted to. Yet Paul would voluntarily give up his right to eat meat if it was going to cause his brothers or sisters to stumble. Interesting. A voluntarily uh, kind of withholding his own freedom for the sake of his brothers and sisters in Christ. He would rather trust God to have him work in their heart to bring them to that conviction. He wasn't going to badger them. He wasn't going to push them into it. He wanted to respect their conscience and their relationship with God. And so he said, I'm just not going to choose to eat meat in those settings. If somebody wanted to do that at home, if a Gentile brother wanted to eat meat at home, that was fine. But if you're having a meal where you're inviting your Jewish brothers and sisters over, don't serve meat. That's what Paul would say. Don't make it an issue for them. And I think in the same way that that kind of consideration needs to be extended to one another in the body of Christ here too, or in our homes. I mean, if you have a friend or relative who struggles with the use of alcohol, well, certainly then you don't want to serve alcohol at a meal. Uh, If you have a husband or sons that struggle with their thought life, then as a wife or a sister, you want to be careful what you watch on TV or movies or what you leave around because you don't want to cause them to stumble. The principle here is that we are to act in love and to be considerate of our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ wanting to help them grow rather than to hurt them. And that's what Paul is getting at. And in verse 15 he says, Don't destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Now think about that. I mean, if if you think of the sacrifice that Christ gave to save someone, He gave His very life. He gave everything. If Christ was willing to do that, then can't you and I voluntarily give up some freedoms if it would mean their encouragement 
or if it would keep them from stumbling? Yeah, we can. That's such a small thing in comparison to what Christ has done for us. But what the Scripture goes on to say here is really that we should focus on eternals and not externals. In verses 16 to 18, he tells us, for example, that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, the danger in trying to reduce Christianity to a set of do's and don'ts or rules and regulations is that that's all people focus on. And they think that if they've kept this defined list of do's and don'ts, then they're a good Christian. And they can do that and yet totally miss the heart of what Christianity is about. And sometimes it becomes so petty. I remember reading this story that Chuck Swindoll shared, and this is a little bit dated, but it will give you the idea of the illustration still applies. Uh, He talked about when he was young, there was a young man who was a youth pastor that wanted to show a missionary film in his church to encourage his youth to think about missions. Well, this was a church that didn't believe in showing movies. And so about an hour after he was done showing this movie to the youth, he gets a call from the elders and leaders he's brought in, you know, and they were not happy with what he had done. And he protested and he said, yeah, but I remember at a missions conference you showed slides of missionaries. And one of the leaders of the church made this point. He said emphatically, he said, if it's still, it's fine. If it's moving, it's sin. Now, we hear those things, you know, and you just kind of go, where did that come from? I mean, how do you get that idea? And, and that's the problem with many of these kind of arbitrary rules that become legalism as people draw a line somewhere. There's not a biblical basis for it. It's just an opinion or thought. And then they make that a hard and fast rule that judges their brother or sister in Christ. I don't want to be focusing on externals like that. I want to focus on the things that are of eternal significance. And that's what Paul is talking about when he says that our heart and set should focus on the things that are most important, like righteousness, our relationship with Christ, or peace, peace with God and peace with one another, or joy in the Holy Spirit, the fullness of life and all that He's given to us. And I would hope that instead, by our example, you know, as we live out our faith and others watch us and our kids see us and others see us, I would hope that instead of seeing us as critical or fault-finding, that they would instead see in us an example of someone who cares about the lost, who gives generously, who's involved in missions, whether supporting missions or going, who cares about the poor in our community, who cares about those that are hurting and needing, who's serious about their relationship with God, and so they read the Scripture and they study the Scripture and they apply it to their life. I would hope that our kids and this next generation would see in us that kind of passion and love for God and the way that we live it out. I remember a couple years ago, Pastor Ron said to me, he had been talking with someone who had been visiting our church and they came from a a different type of church than ours and they came here and they listened to the messages and they saw the things that we were doing in our ministry and one day they were having coffee together and this guy said to him Ron he said he said you guys really believe this don't you 
you really believe this and, and live this out? I mean, I would hope that that's what people would see. Not that we are a church that's focused on, well, you can do this and you can't do that, or that's real narrow and legalistic. But a church that says, you know what, those things are so minor. The bigger issues that we have to deal with, how do we bring the gospel to a world that desperately needs to hear it? And how do we grow in Christ so that our life is pleasing to Him? And what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to walk under His power and guidance? I mean, let me ask you, I mean, who would you rather be around? Would you rather be around a believer who is critical and judgmental and legalistic? Or would you rather be around a believer whose life is filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit? And you see in them love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Boy, it seems like a no-brainer to me on what I'd like to experience in my life. Thirdly, Paul tells us that we should strive for peace and our mutual benefit in the body of Christ. He says, Therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. That's where our focus should be on growing in Christ, on helping to encourage one another. We should work at those things that will build up our brothers and sisters in Christ and help them to grow in their faith. He's saying, don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. It's just not that important. To destroy the work of God can mean a couple things like this. On the one side, it can be to drive someone away from the church and Christ by a critical spirit, a negative attitude. Where people kind of feel like, well, I could never measure up. I could never meet those uh, that list of do's and don'ts. Seems like I'm always getting into trouble for this or that. Instead of someone who comes along and says that, you know what? Those people really loved me and accepted me where I was at and helped me to grow in my relationship with Him. To destroy the work of God can refer also to someone who so damages the church... Uh, that it can take years for the church to recover. I mean, there are times when people have fought over the silliest things or pettiest things. There's been a division in the church or a church split and people in the community know it and they hear about it. And it just takes years. That reputation of the church has been affected because believers couldn't get along in the body of Christ. Is that worth it? Depends upon what the issue is. If it was over the matter of salvation and what we are believing about the Word of God, Paul would go to the wall for that. And he did with the Galatians. But if it's over a matter of whether you eat meat or don't eat meat or drink wine or don't drink wine, Paul would say, let it go. But I want to make another point on this when we talk about these disputable things and not uh, causing our brother to stumble. The question can come up sometimes, well, you know, how do we apply that? I mean, does that mean if somebody doesn't agree with me or if somebody's offended, then I should stop doing everything? And if you think about that, you know, you could actually take that so far that the um, the person with the narrowest viewpoint is the one who has veto power over everything. Well, you don't want that either. Because the question we need to ask is this. Will the exercise of my freedom hurt another believer and cause them to stumble? The question isn't, does everyone agree 
or will anyone be offended by this? Paul's concern here is for the weaker brother. And the weaker brother is usually the younger believer. And he's saying if that younger believer may be led to sin by your behavior or actions, then give it up. Let it go. Let me give you an example of that. Uh, Some of you are familiar with Bill Gothard, and you've heard his teaching through the years. And one of the areas where he uh, has spoken against is the use of contemporary Christian music in the church. And for a number of years he was teaching that was the wolf or the devil in the church and kind of the cause of all problems. Well, I disagree with that. If Bill Gothard were in our church and we had a discussion about that and he said, I don't think you should use any contemporary Christian music anywhere in the church, uh, I would not consider him a weaker brother. He's a mature believer. He knows the Scripture. We can disagree on things like that. I don't think that that means that we would have to stop everything for the sake of another individual who maybe just disagreed based on convictions. The weaker brother that I'm concerned about is this new believer. And what is he going to think? If you use alcohol and this younger believer is wondering about that, is that going to be an issue in his life? If you are in the habit of, say, going to a casino, and maybe you just go there to eat a meal, and he sees you going there, is that going to cause that younger brother to think that going to the casino is okay? Is that going to cause him to get into something else that he shouldn't be doing? Remember the story I told last week about Charles Spurgeon, who uh, had this split with another pastor over that pastor went to the theater, and Spurgeon's smoked cigars and he was kind of defending that well one day Charles Spurgeon was walking down the street this is at the height of his popularity in London and he's walking down the street and he sees a sign in a store that says we sell the cigars that Charles Spurgeon smokes and Spurgeon saw that and he gave up the habit he gave it up because he didn't want to be a part of that He didn't want what was for him a freedom to be something that would cause a brother to stumble. It's one of the reasons that I as a pastor and others I know as pastors in ministry have chosen not to drink alcohol. It's not that there isn't the freedom for a believer to do that, but I just don't want it to be an issue. It's not that big a deal. And I don't want to cause someone else to fall by my example. Now what Paul would say to each of us is that we need to live with a clear conscience before God. We need to keep our conscience clear. And there's a couple different ways that he applies that. On the one side, he says pretty directly, keep your convictions between yourself and God. And these disputable matters, uh, verse 22, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. You know, it's, it's important that we come to decisions, that we come to convictions about things. But then again, you know, don't badger or push somebody else that everybody has to believe the same thing that you do on all of these matters. It doesn't mean that we can't talk about them. We should talk about them. You know, I've had people in our church come talk to me or Gail and say, you know, why did you send your kids to the public school? And what was your thinking in that? Because maybe they're wrestling with, do I do homeschooling or do I public schooling or do I do a church school? 
And that's okay to talk about it, but it's not like this is, again, a litmus test that there's only one answer for every family or every kid. You know, you've got to weigh that out depending upon uh, your child and what their needs are at the point, too. And so Paul would say that keep those convictions to yourself, respect one another, and don't try to impose your convictions on someone else as though this is the only choice. And then secondly, he would also say, though, follow the convictions God has placed on your heart. I mean, if God has led you to a certain decision, then do that in faith and follow his example. Trust God to lead you as you pray and study the scriptures and wrestle with these things, and he will do that. And then he says, because the man who has doubts and who acts on those is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. So we need to trust God to guide us to those convictions that are right for us, and it applies to many different areas, the use of our time, how we use our money, the choices that we make as a family about activities we're going to be involved in, whether it's even good things like sports. Does sports negatively impact your relationship with Christ, or is it a good thing? How are you going to handle that? I mean, there's a whole range of things that we could talk about. Each of us needs to be convinced in terms of the way God is leading us, and then act in faith. See, the conclusion is that God has given us great freedom in Christ. But that doesn't mean that we are free to do whatever we want. Our freedom in Christ is to be balanced by our love for one another. Martin Luther put it like this. He said, A Christian man is the most free Lord of all, subject to none. Great freedom. But a Christian man is also a most dutiful servant of all, subject to all. He considers his brothers and sisters in Christ and how his life is going to impact them for good or for bad. Let's pray. Father, would you help us in the choices that we make, balance our freedom and our responsibility, to live in a way that points others to you as Savior and Lord, to encourage them in their walk with you, to live in such a way that we are cheerful Christians, full of grace, full of mercy, full of love, yet who live with passion and conviction based upon your word and the work that you've called us to do in this world. Help us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit to get that balance right. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.